It's not your cause you carry. It's God's purpose and plan for you. But here's what I've realized. That even a God cause, if it's not under Christ, it will always take the place of Christ. Even the thing that you and I carry, that if I gave you the microphone and said, what is it? You would come up, it would be your passion, and it would be a good thing. But I want to say to you this evening, please, friend, if it's not under Christ, it will every single time take the place of Christ. When that cause is next to Christ, it always takes the place of Christ. And that's why I found interesting in Colossians chapter 1, where it actually Paul writes and he says that, that Jesus Christ has been given supremacy. He's been given first place in everything. Not a place, not prominence, preeminence. And I know that and I preach that and I say that. And then I realize the passion of planning churches or, or, or going to the nations or going to the region or, or whatever your thing is. It's good, but it has no value if it's not under Christ because Christ is what gives value to every cause we carry. None of this is new, but that's the adjustment that I believe we've all had to make. I'm trying to make, and we better contend for that revelation and make sure Christ is first in everything, meaning first place in it all. I heard the story of Leonardo da Vinci. Forgive me if you're into all the painting stuff and that. I'm not, but I heard about him, so forgive me. And uh, he, he drew the painting, uh, painted the picture of uh, the Last Supper. You remember that? Uh, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, call it what you wanted. And they said before he went public with it, he called a few of his buddies to come have a look at the painting. And they came over and they were looking at it and they were wowed by the painting. And, wow, and one of his friends kept referencing the cup in the hand of Jesus. How awesome the cup was and, and how he was drawn to the cup. And eventually, Leonardo da Vinci took the paintbrush and painted over the cup. And his friend said to him, why would you do that? Why are you doing that? That's something of an appeal and attraction. It caught my attention. And he said this, nothing must ever take the place of the figure of Jesus. The cup in his hand was more attractive than the one holding the cup. And he painted. If you look at it today, there was nothing. His hands are empty. Now, I don't know how true that is, but it sounds convincing, does it not? <laughs> Great story. I'm preaching now. But I want to tell you, it makes the point. It's so many times we want what's in the cup. We want the hand. We want what he gives rather than we want Jesus to be Revealed to the world. Now listen, and I want to honor Kirk. I think what a great testimony. You might say, well, why is he telling us that? Because God wants us to hear. It's not just a response. It's because of your revelation of Jesus that moves us to go to these places and to leave family and to divide. And Jesus made it very clear. Don't think I've come to unite. He actually says that. I've come to divide. We love that Jesus is the great uniter, but he claims not to be a uniter. He's a divider. He said, I'll divide. I'll divide between a father and a son. And a Why? Because I will send and I will move and I will send people to go. And it's the motivation that we carry from the revelation of Jesus Christ. How we see him, honestly, friends, determines how we respond to him and serve him. 
And it can't be caught from someone else. And it can't be his revelation or her revelation. It's got to be ours. And the more we see him in his glory for who he is, the more we say yes and do the stuff that is impossible. But what else can we do? Kirk, well done, my friend, for relocating and doing what it is you're called to do. Honestly, and the rest of you too. But this man is in North America. He wants to be America, but he's Canada. So he's right next to us. I'm delighted you're in Northern, uh, North, uh, North America. Canada. And I'm telling you, he's a good friend, a partner in the gospel, helping us in that region. Simply responded. And not that everyone has to go there, but everybody's got to respond to what God's called them to. And obedience is the love language of Jesus Christ. It really is. Jesus made it. If you love me, you will obey me. So this isn't an attack. It's how much do we value Him? How much do we love Him? Because we can stand up here and we need more churches and we do. We need people to go and we must. But what motivates you is not a mission or a preach or a podcast or a download or my revelation or yours. It's my understanding of Christ and responding to Him, whether it be big steps or little steps, walking on water, crossing over, throwing the net on the other side, whatever it be, as long as it's obedience, that's what God's looking for. Not performance, simple obedience. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. My mother used to sing that over me, or I'm trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Not happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. This season has forced many to stop trusting and to begin to take things into our own hands and to begin to question. And all I want to say this, morning, this evening is trust and obey. Don't compare. Don't look at what others are doing. Look to what He's called you to do. Are we being faithful in and through the seasons that God has us in? See, I'm convinced that people lose their way when they lose their Why? People lose their way when they lose their why. When we stop knowing why, when we forget the why, we lose our way. And I, I've seen it. I'm sure you have. I think through church history, we see that again and again. And the challenge for us is to keep coming back to the why, then we will stay in the way that God has called us to, friends. We've got to keep coming back. And I'm going to be very simple this evening and give us a message we all know so well. But this is what I've come back to. The king and the kingdom. That's all that really matters. I had a prophetic word. A guy who's not partnering with NCMI, but a friend who I trusted. He, was, he said the Lord put me on his heart for a few months. And so he ends up saying, all right, Lord, what do you want me to tell this guy, tyrant? So he calls me, and the Lord gives him a word. He calls me and he says, I had this dream about you in this picture. And I said, he said, I saw you standing on a, on a dock. And there were all these ships in the sea, thousands of ships in the sea. And, and he said, and I saw that there were two ropes. And the one rope, all the, all the ships had this rope into the back, into this pylon behind you. And it was like the cement, good foundation, great. And everyone was linked to that foundation behind you. But he said, I saw another rope in your hand. And I, he said, I saw you literally pivot, shake the ropes together and pivot. And he said, the thousands of ships in the sea all began to line up with what God had put in your heart. Now, how many of you know that sounds like a great word? Let's get my will done. Let's do what Tyron wants. This is awesome. 
But by the grace of God, I went to the Father and said, help me understand a little more of what that means because I want to be faithful to the Word God gives because it has ramifications for many, 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 many who've yet to hear the Gospel. And I had all these pivots that I wrote down that I think the churches had to pivot from in order to become more and pivot from it. Interesting how he had that word pivot and I had really written down these things. I showed my wife so you can ask her. She'll be arriving in South Africa on Sunday night so you can ask her if you come to Joburg. You'll see her. But he used the word pivot. And so I was, Lord, I've got all these pivots. And friends, I, I went back to the Lord. I said, Lord, help me understand. What's the pivot you want us to make? And I made reference to it earlier this afternoon. If you were here, the great pivot we've got to keep contending for is we've got to stop being cruise ships and get back to being battleships. Oh, Tyron, that's like so what's the, uh, what, gimmicky. Oh, cruise ship, battleship. Come on. I mean, yeah, come on. You see, when we are cruise ship, we never fulfill the will of God. When it's cruise ship, it's what's in it for me. It's a mentality. Put your hand up if you've ever been on a cruise ship. Come on, this is church. You can confess your sins right here. <laughs> I've been on a cruise ship. And let me tell you, when we relocated, we left this nation in 89 and moved to Australia. We caught the Achille Lara ship, which the Italian ship that I heard is now sunk. It's gone. Thank Lord it didn't happen when we were on it. But, and we caught it from uh, Durban Harbour to Perth, Australia. Twelve days of absolute hell. Forgive me. I hated it. By the time we got to Mauritius, two days, I'm like, get me off the ship. It's too much. Surrounded by water, food, opulence, all that you want, whenever you want, everybody's there. It was brilliant. And then after three days, I'm like, get me off the ship. We had 12 days still, all of 12 days. Now, I'm not complaining, but once and only once, I'll never get on another ship again. My wife's like, let's get on a ship and go, never. I do not. I love people, but I need a break from people. You understand? When I, you know, that's, forgive me. But it was, you know, if you go on a cruise ship, the only thing you require to do on a cruise ship is breathe. And the reason is because that's the only thing they can't do for you. Everything else is done for you. It's all about comfort. It's all about you. I mean, everybody's making sure you're taken care of. That's why we like it. But after a day or two, we're over it. But there's many people in churches and that want that mentality. What's in it for me? What do I get? If I come, and friends, it's the wrong mentality if we understand Scripture. God's not looking for cruise ship churches. He's looking for battleship. Battleship's about mission. Battleship has a job to do. And you know what the thing is? That everyone on a cruise ship is there to be served, but everyone on a battleship has a role to play in where the ship is going and the mission they call to. One's about us, the other's about them. And the biggest difference between a battleship and a cruise ship is that everything on the battleship is for the people who are not on the battleship. Where everything that's in the cruise ship is for the people on the ship. And so I, I, I know this is not new. I mean, I've preached on battleship. I think all of us have preached on battleship. We showed the pictures and well, which church are we and how do you lead a battleship? And, but I was like, Lord, how is it that we always go back to cruise ship. We'll have a moment of battleship and rah-rah and two days together. Now we are battleship. And then within a week or two, we, we become cruising. What's in it for me and what do I get? I mean, it's just our nature. And I was like, Lord, how do we stop going back there? Why, why do we have to always talk about it? Why can't we just live in it? Why, when, 
Why does, when does a, a battleship become a cruise ship? Never. should never. It's not made for that. And honestly, friends, I wish I had more than this. I felt the Lord say, because we need to get back to and stay in the place of the king and the kingdom. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I know this. Yeah, but knowing it and contending for it is very different. We've got to keep coming back to king and kingdom. We've been through some shaking. The Bible says that the only thing that will stand is the kingdom. Everything else will be shaken. How many of you know we've had some shaking? Shaking is not a bad thing because it reveals what we anchored to. But it also shows you that we, if I can stand up here this evening and confess, there's stuff I gave my life for and life to and my family and my resources and all the stuff that I thought and wished and hoped was God was kingdom. And through this crazy season, I've seen some of it fall away. And it's broken my heart, but I'm rejoicing this side of eternity that God revealed it's not His kingdom so I can fix it rather than get to heaven one day and realize it was a waste of time. And so the shaking and the loss and perhaps the things we felt that were so dear and so important are maybe gone and maybe some of us are grieving tonight but we need to move on because the Bible, the Hebrews writer actually says we are to come in holy holy awe and reverence of all. For our God is a consuming fire when He talks about the, everything that can be shaken will be shaking. That which stands is the kingdom. We're about the king and the kingdom. And it's a shifting back to truly being a kingdom people. It's not about the church. It's about the kingdom. I know some of you get quiet when I say that, but that's what the Bible tells us. My son Dole got up here, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into, into what? The kingdom. We've been saved out of and we love to talk about where we've come from and I've been saved from and that's awesome. But more importantly, it's not where you've come from. The most important is what you've been saved into. And you haven't been saved just into the church or into a group or NCMI. Or you've been saved into the kingdom, transferred from kingdom of the darkness into the kingdom of light. That's where we transferred out of that kingdom into the kingdom of God. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's the kingdom that is declared to be unshakable. Matthew 6, verse 33. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom, His will, and His righteousness, His way, and all these things will be given to us. See, friends, seeking the kingdom is still the believer's priority, number one priority, is what Jesus said. You know, I, I love reading Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. Matthew 13, verse 44, he talks about the kingdom. And, and he says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now don't forget, he didn't buy the field because he wanted a field. He bought the field because it had the treasure. And maybe 
We're taking care of the fields, busy looking after fields, forgetting why we have the field. It's the treasure in the field that got us to buy the field. Mowing the lawns of the field, taking care of the field. There's the treasure that gives the value to the field. The value is not the field. Are you confused from Canada? I'll explain in a moment. Don't forget he bought the field for the treasure, not to have another field. Romans 14, 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. It's kingdom living, friends is the central theme of the entire New Testament. Jesus spoke more in the four Gospels about the kingdom than He did about anything else. There's more than 90 references in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about the kingdom. Jesus' first sermon was on the kingdom of heaven being at hand or being near. Matthew 4.17 He prayed to the Father that His kingdom would come here on earth in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. It's the kingdom that is delivered over to the Father in 1 Corinthians 15, 28. It's the kingdom that demands repentance, Matthew 3, verse 2. It's the kingdom that Jesus explained to the bewildered disciples before Pentecost, Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says, after his suffering, he went about it presenting himself and convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom. It's the kingdom that is Nicodemus was seeking at personal risk. John 3 verse 3. Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they be born again. It's the kingdom that is not in word but in power. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but power. Are you seeing how important the kingdom is? Now, I know we would all agree with this, but I want to challenge us for a moment and say we somehow move kingdom language into the church in place of the kingdom. And I'm all for the church, and maybe some of you this evening have been taught that the church is the kingdom. And I'm just going to tell you it's not. And I hope you don't fight me. Just read the Bible. Not who taught you. What does the Bible say? The church is not the kingdom. Why? Because the Church can be shaken. Hello? Have you seen some shaking? Yes, we've seen some shaking. Do you know my country, 35,000 churches shut down through COVID and have never opened and will never open again. 35,000 churches. That's a lot of people, a lot of churches. Now, I'm not pointing fingers, but I want to tell you, if there's a kingdom, it should be happening. It should be standing. But when it's not the kingdom, it can shut down. It can be shaken. People can go. People can fall. And I'm not trying to differentiate because they need it. They're both necessary, but they're not the same. And if we see them as the same, we preach the church instead of the kingdom, and we see ba cruise battleships becoming cruise ships. The church is in the kingdom, and the kingdom is in the church, but the church is not the kingdom. We've got to pivot from being church-focused to kingdom-focused. The kingdom of God is unshakable. The kingdom of God is eternal, meaning no beginning, no ending, 
of the kingdom. It began in eternity and consummates in eternity. The kingdom is absolute, neither relative nor changes. The kingdom is infinite, no limit in space and time. Can I just say, none of these descriptions apply to the church. And while there's a distinction between the two, it must be clear. Can I just say this? The reciprocal nature of the two must be held in tension. It's not either or. It's not one over the other. It's both. It's kind of like two legs. I've got two legs. You might notice here. And one, this right leg's a little bigger because I'm right leg. No, I'm joking. So, but how many of you know I need both legs? But both legs are not the same. And they need it together. And I want to suggest, if I can, that the kingdom is the one leg and the church is the other leg. And together they work hand in hand. One is it? Oh, leg in leg, all right? Foot in foot. Wow. We can never separate the church and the kingdom. And some have. Some are all about the church. Or can I say the other reaction is they're all about the kingdom at the expense of the church. Jesus is only building his church. So there's no other thing he's building but the church. But the church needs to understand its, its mandate of advancing the kingdom of God. They walk together, two legs needing each other, but they have different meanings and different content. The kingdom, can I suggest, is the purpose. The church are the people that fulfill the purpose. And when you make the church the purpose, we're no longer fulfilling the true purpose. Are you okay? See, I believe the church needs to view herself again as Jesus did. The church is the agent of God's mission. She's not the goal of the mission. We are the agency, the vehicle through which the kingdom of God comes. See, when the church, when the kingdom is declared, the church is built. When we proclaim His kingdom, the result is that the church is built. And the kingdom is our priority, and out of that proclamation, people are called out into a body, ecclesia, to embrace Christ's lordship. So can I just say again, without trying to use cliches, we need a kingdom-shaped view of the church and not a church-shaped view of the kingdom. Don't get distracted with the upkeep of the church at the expense of the advancing of the kingdom of God. And I've watched, and I know that we've all had to become TV evangelists through this crazy season, like we all talked against TV evangelists, now we're all on video, and we're all recording ourselves preaching, and some of you are doing a terrible job, and some are doing a great job, and, but we got phones, I'm sorry, I know you're doing your best, but you know, I, we, I would never be a TV, and now everything's recorded, and we're going live, and we're live streaming, and we all... <laughs> Well done, you're doing a good job. But, but people want to see you, and people are leaving the church, and people don't want to be a part of it. And, people, and, and, and I get that, friends. But, but I'm watching leaders and people become so distracted by keeping the church going that we've stopped advancing the kingdom. And I, again, it's not either or, but focus on the mandate, the people, the, the, the purpose, and watch what God can do with His people again. What is the kingdom? Well, it's many things, but in its simplicity, can I bring it back to us again? It's the rule and reign of God. 
when God rules and reigns somewhere, that's the kingdom. It's not this mystical, mystified, unknown kingdom now, kingdom not yet, kingdom one day. It's simply the rule and reign of God. Wherever the rule and reign of God comes, that's the kingdom. And some people say, oh, you kingdom now. Yeah, well, I believe right now the kingdom has come. I'm saved. My salvation, the rule and reign of God has come in me, on me, and over me. I'm now saved. The rule of God. If we pray for someone tonight and they get healed, how many of you know the rule and reign of God, the kingdom? If we have financial breakthrough by doing the things God told us to do, and the rule, rule and reign of God comes now. If we have marriage restored, which we're seeing, people leave, but we're also seeing God restoring, it's the rule and reign. Wherever God rules and reigns, that's the kingdom. I know it's more than that, but it's that. Kingdom is that territory over which the king reigns. I want to say the kingdom is the governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his personal will, his purpose and intent, producing a culture of values and morals and lifestyle that reflect the king's desires and nature of his servants or citizens. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom, very different to anything here on this earth. In actual fact, when Jesus came, he was so different to how the Jews expected him that the majority of them rejected him as the king because he came in a way they couldn't understand. This kingdom of heaven is nothing like here on earth, yet we're trying to bring the two together and play the game of his kingdom mixing with this kingdom. No, friends, this is an upside-down kingdom. It's not like governments in the world. It's not. And some of us try to run the church like that, or we bring that into the church and wonder why it's not reflecting the kingdom. I'm just telling you, it's an upside-down kingdom. Jesus came as a servant king to win hearts of the people. Someday he will return as the absolute king of every kingdom and nation. It's a grassroots, or I'm in South Africa now, grassroots. No, no, that's English. Whatever. Grassroot. I don't know. I don't know. Forgive me, I'm trying. It's a grassroots kingdom. Grassroots. See, Jesus came. Let me remind you again tonight. He came for every man, every woman, every person. Every, the poor, the broken, the least, and the lost. He came for them too. Not exclusive. It's for all. It's a salt and light kingdom. Don't be surprised by the attack and the opposition. There's, there's two kingdoms in conflict. You see, if we don't understand kingdom, we are amazed by the attack that comes. But there's two kingdoms in conflict, and with all due respect, they don't hang out side by side and pick a kingdom, and you can choose, and we can coexist. Isn't that wonderful to coexist? No such thing in the kingdom. Two kingdoms, and that's it. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. Not coexisting. They're going at it at each other, either one or the other, but not be both. Are you listening? And people are, oh, well, we just work with all people and all, all sorts of religions. And I mean, sounds awesome. Imagine if Jesus said, just work with all religions and find your way to heaven. And I'm a way, but there's many others. And you work together. You work it out for the sake of peace and prosperity of your city. Just work it out. Nonsense. I'm sorry, it's just not biblical. But it can be if we church focus. We just work with anyone. It doesn't matter what you really believe. It matters. Two kingdoms. Choose one. 
I'm not to exclude. Darkness and light cannot live together. I also want the utopia dream, but it's not in Scripture. Can't have both hanging out, wondering, wow, we add it against each other. It's what happens. Francis Schaeffer said, we're locked in a battle. This is not a friendly gentleman's game called cricket. I added that. <laughs> it's a life and death conflict between the spiritual hosts of wickedness and those who claim the name of Christ. C.S. Lewis said there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by the devil. And I'm going to tell you this. You can't take kingdom ground without opposition. And I want to say this. The world is too strong for a church that is divided. We have a common enemy, and it's not each other. Can I step on toes for a minute? Stop posting opinions. Stop liking opinions of others. Stop giving your opinion of what you think everybody, including your government, should be. I know I'm getting into trouble, but we are taking each other out. We're taking one another out by opinions and perspectives and stuff that truly has no effect on what we've been called to do. I'm telling you, friends, I'm not telling you what to do, but pray. I am asking you to pray before you post. And I guarantee you won't post much more. And if you do, it would be a scripture that will offend people and they're not going to like it anyway. But you'll stop putting your opinions. I've said this. I think social media might not have enabled the lame to walk, but it's allowed the dumb to speak. And it has. And it has. And I know some of you want to throw rocks. I'm just asking you, pray before you post. That's what I started doing. And people hate me because I'm not posting anymore. And oh, you need to stand up for Ukraine, and you need to stand up for this, and you need to stand up for that, and you better put this picture up, and you better... And I'm just telling you, stop. Did you just on the Ukraine thing, we have churches in Russia, just so you know. So what do we do there? It's not the Russian churches, it's the government. What must we do there? And so you stand for one, you stand for the other. You, you, it never ends, and you're going to get yourself in serious trouble. And if you don't like this, then you're going to like this. And when you like this, you're going to like everything else. And just stop. No one cares what I think, and to be honest, I don't care what you think. We just want to know what the Bible has to say. Now, I know some of you want to throw rocks. I'm just, let's utilize it for what it was given for kingdom purpose rather than get into the fight. You know, Australia, I was, lived in Australia for many years, and uh, what did you say? Sorry. Oh, is that a Kiwi over there? That's a real problem, I see you. Ah, you see that big brother mentality there? And this one, Canadian, I'm American, I'm sorry, no, I'm I don't know why I was saying, what was I saying? How about Aussies? Okay, so you know what Aussies? Aussies saying is something like this. I'm trying to remember it so correctly. If I get it wrong, don't sue me, Australia. But it was, when you get into, the only one who likes a fight in the mud is the pig. Don't get into the fight with the pig in the mud, because the only one who likes the fight is the pig. 
Take that for whatever it's worth. <laughs> Stop being a pig, all right? Are you with me? I'm not telling you what you can and can't do, but just notice. Just, you don't see Jesus playing the game, political. And, and let me get into serious trouble here. You don't see Jesus ever talking about overthrowing the government. I'm saying as an American, vote them out, get rid of them. Yeah, yeah, vote, and then shut up and get on with it. Seriously. But do you think that God needs a... Do you th- let me use my nation. Do you think God needs a Christian in the White House to serve God's purpose in America? I mean, with all due respect, I'm happy if we get a Christian president. It means very little in what God's called us to. And for too long, we look into the government to do the thing we've been called to. Now, I'm not saying don't pray for your government. I'm not saying don't vote. But once you vote, you get what you get. And you can say, God, you get who you deserve. I don't believe all that. I'm just like, God's not walking around in heaven going, what do we do with Joe Biden in the White House? (laughs) Seriously. And I'm sorry, he's my president. I'm just saying he's not caught off God going, gee, what next? And Trump didn't win. Now what? And oh my gosh. But some of us have this mentality. If we ever, imagine when Jesus, this is, I know I'm getting recorded, but this, I have to say this. You know when Jesus came to earth and he walked with his people? Let me tell you how the Jews were treated by the Romans in Jesus' day. Way worse than any of us facing what we face, including some of North Korea and other regions. They were trashed. They were forced to pay money. They weren't allowed to worship. They were beaten up. They were imprisoned. All this stuff. That's what happened in Jesus' day. And their disciples, Jesus' disciples, expected Jesus to overthrow Caesar and the government. Because that's what a Messiah deliverer would do. But Jesus did not come and do any of that. In actual fact, he did not even mention it. What he said is, I'm going to bring a different kingdom to this kingdom. And I'm actually going to, my kingdom can operate under any other government. It doesn't matter who's in your white house, your black house, whatever house you have. It doesn't matter who's in your president. It doesn't matter. And I'm not, I know some of you in politics want to fight me. I'm not. Live where God's called you to be. But if your faith is in your government, you're done and the kingdom will never be advanced. Vote, pray. If you get the president or prime minister you don't like, pray for them anyway. But don't look to them to be the solution God's called us to be. God will never use the government to do the job He's called His people to. Kingdom. And I was born in Rhodesia, Zimbabwe. That's got a history there, right? We've had some pretty radical leaders leading that country. And guess what? The church can operate with anyone in the government. (laughs) So we're all about overthrowing governments and voting them out, and we're waiting for the next election. And I'm doing that in America. We've got a midterm coming up, and everyone's, here we go, here we go. It's time for a red wave or a pink wave or a red, all this stuff. And and I agree your government matters, but God's not pacing going, oh, I wonder what I should do next. I'm telling you, friends, it's in South Africa too. I listen to your talk. Don't get political. Please, not for me, for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> Are we okay, we friends? Good news for you is I'm leaving this place in a moment. You know, you, this country is a special country. I, I love what, what uh, what's your name again? Um, Kirk. Chuck Norris. 
Looks like Chuck Norris, doesn't he? And, and I love what he was saying about leadership and people. I'm telling you, there's something special about this nation. Don't become like another nation. I'm asking you, as a Zimbabwe and Australian American, stay South African. Kingdom South Africa. The world is too strong for a divided church. It's an incarnation kingdom. Just as Jesus lived among people, so members of the kingdom of God live among people, speak their language, and live in their neighborhoods and friends. They, they're not hidden, not separated, so different. They're there mixing with other people. It's a transformational kingdom. Jesus has to come to transform the world back to how he intended it to be. It's a discipleship kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is for fully devoted, obedient followers of Jesus. So, in the few minutes I have left, because I have yet to find anyone who doesn't believe their kingdom. Oh yeah, we kingdom. Kingdom. <laughs> Seek first the kingdom. Of course, always kingdom. I'm not sure. I think we believe in some ideas, and, but we very quickly move to other stuff. And I just want to give us quick, and I know you're going to die when you hear the number seven. It's biblical. It's a seven number. And I don't have a lot of time. Don't tell me that. Do you? I, I, you, quickly, and I won't be able to speak them, but I just, they're not new, but this is how we can identify. I've grown up in the church. I've, all I've heard is about the kingdom, and I've never met anyone who doesn't believe kingdom or says they're kingdom, but I've seen from Scripture that we're not always, always kingdom, and not all kingdom, and we need to get back to being kingdom only. So, so what are some of the signs of the kingdom? Well, just proofs, not go prove yourself. Just be these, and these are signs, and there's many more, but a couple of them quickly. Number one, the sovereignty of Jesus is a sign of a true kingdom people. Not Jesus is the add on, tag on. He gets a mention at Christmas and Easter, and then we do our thing, and then we tag him on when we remember him. He's the sovereign king of this kingdom. And I listen, let me be honest this evening. I listened to the pre kingdom preaching today, and it's like. We present a kingdom with a vacant throne. I listen to the kingdom preaching and people are on this kingdom dynamic, but there's missing the most important ingredient, the king. This throne is not vacant. There is one who sits on the throne and if we understand kingdom, he's sovereign over all. He's the main son of the kingdom. Because he's the king of the kingdom. You see, when we're church focused, we are the focus. But when you're kingdom focused, he is the focus. And I said earlier, the correct view of Jesus gives us a correct view of everything else. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. 
He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, all things, he will have first place, preeminence, sovereignty in it all. How many of you know it's really all about him? And a true son of a true kingdom people is not a kingdom with a vacant throne. It's the ruling and reigning sovereign king of it all. Not add on, not when it comes to the equip. Oh yeah, gee, Jesus, we better put him back. Lives that reflect him. Lives that are submitted. Lives that understand he rules and reigns and has full. He purchased you and I with his blood, which means we belong to him. How is he sovereign? Well, we're seeking the governing of the king. He governs us. He leads us. He talks. He says move. He says go. He says leave your family. He says that, and we go. Not let me pray about it. Let me think of it. We go. Why? Because he's king. He's our master. He's not our mascot. Let me ask you tonight, is he truly supreme in your life? Are we truly surrendered and submitted? It's not a pressure. And let me just tell you, it's only in the kingdom that surrender brings victory. It's not this forced thing. It's when you come to the place of surrender, that's where you find victory. Surrender to the Lordship, King, Lord. And I know I'm preaching to converted and leaders here tonight, but I'm asking you under God, if we seriously kingdom people, then Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning and governing and guiding us wherever we go. Yeah, we, 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 after a few... We obviously we had lock up too, lockdown, not lock up, lockdown, lock, lock something in, in the US for a while. And I live in Colorado and our governor just said, forget it, open up. And he was good to the church, although he's not a believer at all. But he just said, you meet, do your thing. Just if someone gets sick, it's your fault. You, you pay for it. You go to jail. We're like, yeah, cool. We trust the Lord. But I remember when we first, after a few weeks or months, or I don't know how many, we weren't allowed to meet, and we got together. Man, anticipation. I mean, that was the best time to ever preach. You could just say anything, and people, ah, yeah. And me, so I was just, I mean, it's just, we're together. You, we can be together. I mean, it was just, whoa, this is awesome. And I remember being in this meeting, and I was standing at the back, and the musos, I mean, literally, for me, this was heaven on earth. I thought, this is the picture of heaven for me. It was worship, and the songs were not, I wonder who we singing about. They were about the sovereignty of the king. It was Jesus, all Jesus about the king. Man, the musos were all on their knees. Everybody was on their knees, young and old. I looked around. We were all on our knees. I mean, the declarations people read in Revelation 1 and 2, and the throne. I mean, I just, and I just stood at the back going, oh, Lord, the, the this is pleasing to me. This must be so pleasing to you. I'm pleased. Can you imagine how pleased you must be? Because this is about you. But the Lord said to me, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And now I know I lead NCMI and I should know every scripture off by heart, but I didn't know that one. And I felt the Lord drop in Luke 6, 46. And I went and looked in my Bible while we're having this moment from heaven, touching heaven, changing earth. This is heaven. This is it. This is the picture we're going for. And I read Luke 6, verse 46. This is what the Lord says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? And then he talks about how it's a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand instead of the rock and how dumb it really is. I didn't even have the 
the guts. Unfortunately, I wasn't leading the meeting to actually walk over to this and say, guys, we're all having these moments of sovereignty and lordship and wow, heaven here on earth, and we are never going to be the same. But we get up from those moments, we walk out the doors, and we go and do our own thing, calling him Lord, but not doing what he said. It's not an accusation, but it's a reality. He's not Lord if we're not listening. Gathering for the King. Going for the King. Not to have another church plant. Not even just to reach the lost, with all due respect. For the King. I, I know that we've all lost family and left family. The pain of leaving my parents. You know, my parents still live in Australia. I, every day I ask the Lord, please, can I go back? Uh, one of the grievous things for me will be when they pass away and go be with the, the Lord that I could... I didn't have enough time with them when I could have. That's my issue, and I'm getting over it. And I just went in Australia, and I had a great time with them. But I'm, it's not for America that I'm in America. It's not for this team. It's not for the people. It's not for my city. Those are not enough. That would get me to go back to Australia to go see my parents. The thing that keeps me where I am is this. I go for him. And it's not to pray. look how awesome I am. I'm telling you, friends, if it's not about him, we're going back. Somewhere we go. I, listen, I read the stories of the disciples putting their head on the block, getting beheaded and burnt and upside down crucifixed. And you think, what idiots? What, who would do that? I'll tell you who would do that. Not those who have a mission. Those who have a revelation of the Master. Mission's not enough. I've seen people fall out of the mission through COVID and want nothing to do with the church or God anymore. But those who've stayed are those who have a revelation. I do this for him. It's not going to get easier in your great country, just so you know. It's not getting easier anywhere. And I'm not prophesying doom. I'm reading the Bible. And if you're stuck on a mission and you're holding to a mission, you will fall out of that mission, guaranteed. But if you are enamored with Jesus, you will stay the course and do what it is he's called you to. Not about a person. I mean, not about a, a roadmap. It's about a relationship. It's Jesus Christ. Going for him, growing for him. Glory of one of my favorite texts is Matthew 16. And many of you, I'm sure, have heard me talk about Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say I am? Not you, the church, my disciples. Who do they say I am? Some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Elisha or one of the prophets. In other words, you're a good dude doing some good stuff. Jesus didn't get mad about that. And if I was Jesus, I would have stopped the moment there and said, let me just go show them who I am. You're dead. You're dead. Now who do you say I am? One of the very many reasons I'm not Jesus, all right? But Jesus was not that bothered about the false testimony of him. And he moved the, the equation from not what do they say. He said, what about you? Who do you, my followers, what do you say about me? Who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and said, and you are blessed, Simon. I, because that, that uh, came to you not by, my, but by man, but by my Father in heaven. And then he said, and I, I will build my church. And on this rock, not on you, Peter. Gosh, how did it get that so wrong? 
Let me just say, any church built on a man is doomed for failure. It's never going to be kingdom. Just so you know. Forgive me, but it's true. Jesus said, based on your revelation of me, I'm building my church on the revelation of me. And then he said, and I'll, get, and I'll build my church. And then for the first time in history, he begins to talk about the church. And he talks about this church that is storming the gates of hell and taking ground and all that. And he said, and I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. So just, just give me a bit of leeway here because we're talking about the kingdom tonight. I kind of feel like Jesus needed that declaration about him before he could entrust his kingdom to those people. Now that you know who I am, I'll tell you who you are. And now that you know who I am, I'm going to give you keys. I'm entrusting you with my kingdom here on earth. See, most of us in this room, I'm sure all of us want more. Trust, trust me, Lord. I want to be faithful. And yes, be faithful a little. But I'm convinced of this. Your faithfulness to the revelation of Christ gives you access to greater things in the kingdom. Can't earn it, but you're trustworthy with your revelation. Jesus said, now that you know who I am, I can trust you with my kingdom. Are you with me, friend? We're talking about the sovereignty of Jesus. I mean, I know that, but this is the most important ingredient of the kingdom. And we talk about being a kingdom, but there's a vacant throne. And I'm telling you, it's not vacant. The more we see him for who he is, the more he can entrust us with the kingdom. I was handed this team. I started saying that. Let me tell you, I felt the Lord take me to a place and show me and get me to get back to the revelation of Jesus. And this is what I felt the Lord say to me. I can trust you with the revelation of my son. I can trust you with the nations of the world. I can trust you with cities and nations if you're faithful with the revelation of my son. It's not an earning. And I'm telling you, it's a for all of us. The team that I'm tra- privileged to lead, we get to hang out next week, all the international guys together. It's going to be wonderful. We haven't seen each other for four years together. But I'm telling you, the reminder for all of us is we better be faithful with the revelation of Jesus because there's more promise to us. But can He trust us because we're faithful with the revelation of Jesus? In other words, who's getting the glory? Who do we talk about? Who's getting the honor for it all? If it's not Jesus... We're not trustworthy in the kingdom. Are you okay, friends? At that last supper, when Jesus was sitting with his disciples, it, it intrigues me and irritates me, all emotions when I read that story. I mean, I love Jesus, honestly. and I know you think you love him more, but you don't. I love him more than you. I mean, you mentioned Jesus. Anything bad, I'll, 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 I'll take my pastor's hand. I'm not a pastor, but I'll take it off and we'll have some words. Don't blaspheme my king. Don't talk about my king. You, and he's sitting in this, Jesus sitting with his disciples and he looks around and he says, one of you will betray me. And let me tell you, if I was in that cave or wherever they were sitting, I'd be like, listen, I knew Crofts, I knew it was you, but <laughs> come here, let me give you a sip. Doom, headbutt you. No, seriously, oh, jockey, I knew it was Tony Silver, I knew I mean, again, I'm having a bit of fun, but I would be looking around that room going, who is it? You're dead. You're dead. Betraying him. You're betraying him. Who are you? But that's not the response. Each one of the disciples began to say, surely not I, Lord. Surely not I, Lord. Surely not me, Lord. And then Judas, the one who does betray him, says, surely not I, Rabbi. 
Easier to betray Jesus if he's not your Lord. Rabbi, teacher. Judas saw him as a teacher. The other saw him as Lord. Let me just say, friends, he's not Lord. Easier to say, nah, not interested, not doing that, don't want to do it. But if he's settled Lordship, friends, it's the most liberating place. It's a genuine sign of the kingdom of God. Quickly, secondly, the spreading of the gospel. I won't stay there long. The spreading of the gospel is a sign of the kingdom. See, kingdom people tell others about their king, period. You can't force it. You don't need an evangelist to stir you up and make you feel bad that people are going to hell. You just tell people about your king. You spread the gospel. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says this. These things will begin to happen. You want the teaching on end times? Read what Jesus had to say. It's better than any end times, Tim LaHaye or anyone else you're listening to. I don't have a problem with those people. If you don't know who they are, good. Just read the Bible. Jesus talks about end times. In Matthew 24, and he said, these things will begin to happen. This will begin to happen. Rumors, war, nation will rise up against nation. And then he says, and this, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony, a sign to all nations, all ethnos groups. And then the end will come. It's not the Antichrist. It's not the mark of the beast. It's not the vaccine or the vaccine passport. Or You know what brings the end? The gospel being preached to all ethnos, all tribes, tongues, and nations. The gospel, not of the church, not the gospel of salvation, the gospel of the kingdom. The lost and the unreached. May I just say that? There's no one in this room that doesn't have a heart for the lost in your city. That's why you're here. But I want to challenge us and say Jesus is about not just the lost, He's about the unreached, and there is a difference. I want to say we need a heart for both if we're going to be a kingdom people. The lost, they say, and I don't know who they, but let's quote them, they say in any Western culture, which would include this nation, that someone anywhere in your region, nation, will have the opportunity to hear the gospel preached within a 24-hour per- period somewhere. Anywhere, somewhere in South Africa, someone will have the privilege of, or opportunity to hear the gospel preached somewhere within a 24-hour radius. They say about the unreached. Every 30-something years, one person will have the privilege or opportunity to hear the gospel preached. I don't know how they get those stats, but I, I find that very troubling. And so Jesus did come to seek and save the lost, but Jesus said this gospel is to be preached to the unreached as well as those who are lost. And can we not move and mo- be sent from to the unreached areas, not just the lost in our city? Not either or, but it's got to be both. There are regions and nations that are waiting that have never heard the gospel, and we have the privilege to take it to them. And it's that, my dear friends, that I believe what Jesus is saying is what will bring the end. If that's what brings the end, surely that should be the focus of our lives. No? There's 7.8 billion people in the world, and there's 3.3 billion unreached. That's kingdom. 
Let's be faithfully declaring and proclaiming the gospel everywhere we go. There are business people in this room who can get the gospel to those people. God gave you your influence and the capacity to do that. You've got to think kingdom-wise again. Charles Spurgeon said it's the whole business of the whole church to get the whole gospel to the whole world. He also said this, and he said this, so don't be mad at me. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. He's dead and he said it, so blame him. He said, you're either trying to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ, or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. He who says he believes in Jesus but does not think enough of Jesus to ever tell another about him is an imposter. Charles Spurgeon. You okay? Don't feel bad. Just don't be an imposter in the kingdom. You know, and forgive me for this, St. Francis of Assisi said a wonderful thing, remember? Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now, I want to say, I know what he was saying, but he's biblically wrong. We're called to declare the gospel. We're called to preach the gospel. Yes, we're called to live it. Yes, we want people to see us live it. But you can't just walk around waiting for people to ask me, gee, why are you so gospely? No, no, I'm serious. You, you know what it's like? It's like saying this. It's like saying this. Go feed the poor. Go feed the hungry. And if necessary, give them something to eat. Now, I'm not mocking, and I understand what he was saying, because he was saying we're preaching one thing and living a different thing. But don't stop preaching the one thing. The gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of salvation. He went and preached and declared and preached the gospel. Didn't just live it and wait for a question. We're called to declare it, friends. We're heralds, we're preachers of the gospel of the kingdom. And what a time and what a season for the true gospel, the joy, the celebration, not just of salvation, gospel of the kingdom. Because the gospel of salvation always puts me at the center. Gospel of the kingdom always puts him at the center. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you to read the Bible. If I'm wrong, then don't do it, Please. I feel like we've got to shift our thinking. Yes, kingdom stuff, but back to our thing. No, no, kingdom only. Don't forget the gospel is not about making bad people good. It's about taking dead people and making them alive. I want to say, if we don't scatter seed, God will scatter us. And I also say missions is for amateurs, not professionals. And I say this gospel is meant to be gossiped. You want you gossipers? Gospel the gossip the gossip, gossip the gospel. <laughs> Thirdly, quickly, I'm taking. I'll, I'll just give you the headlines and we're done. Signs, wonders, and miracles. Oh, you had to go there, yeah, because the Bible goes there. I mean, straight up, we want healing signs and wonders, but if you're church focused, to be honest, I'm just going to be honest. You don't really need the signs, wonders, and miracles. I mean, we can trust God for healing. We don't really need it. If you're kingdom focused, it's a demonstration of kingdom. It matters to demonstrate the power of God. 
God's not holding back and hoping one day people, He's not retiring and He wants to display His glory. Jesus went about convincing and proving that He was alive. It's me. Look, it's me. Showing His. We've got to come back to signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, don't run after them because they come after us, but it's a sign of kingdom because if I can talk you into the kingdom, I can, someone can talk you out of the kingdom. And I've seen that happen even with me convincing people. Get in, and then someone else convinced it. But when there's a sign or a wonder and a miracle, they're convinced. God wants to convince them, not us. Are you, are you there, friends? Oh, you know, we're not sure about signs and wonders. Well, it's in the kingdom, and as the gospel must be made manifest through kingdom expression of signs and wonders. It really should, friends. And God does heal today. God wants to reveal. And you don't have to be saved to get healed. God can demonstrate. How many of you have seen that? I'm telling you, it's not just through the kills, and I thank God for their ministry, but their ministry should be sparking all believers to trust God. If you're in the kingdom, you should be trusting. You can lay hands on the sick and they will get saved. I get healed. Are you, are you there? Declared and demonstrated. Stop talking them into the kingdom. Demonstrate His power. And just to say this, to desire the Spirit... Without the unusual. It's kind of like saying, I want to swim, but I don't want to get wet. You know, the spirit stuff, yeah, I want it, but I don't want the unusual. What's usual about a sign, wonder, and miracle? Nothing usual. So if you want to not have the unusual, then don't try and swim without getting wet. You're going to get wet. Not saying weird, but God wants to do, demonstrate some power, I believe, through His people seated in this room. If you're kingdom focused, salvation through being born again. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm in the wrong country right now. I don't know when last I heard a message on being born again. I, I don't know when last the net was thrown out about being born again. And I want to tell you I'm not building a theology, just think. Jesus said, no man can see, the kingdom, can see the kingdom unless he be born again. I think a lot of people in our churches, and because we're not talking about being born again, they're not seeing the kingdom. They know salvation, do all these things to be saved. I'm not questioning their salvation, but there's something about born again to see kingdom. And we jump through all the hoops, and if you do this, you'll be saved. And if you do this, and, and I'm not... I, but it's almost like we're trying to attain to something we already are when we're born again. I'm not a bad dude. I'm a born again. I'm a new creation. I'm not a bad dude being made good. I'm a total new creation. And there's something about born again. And Nicodemus said, well, does that mean I have to go back in my mother's womb? He couldn't get his head around it. Jesus said, no, born from heaven, born from above. But you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. And it talks about this this. DNA that comes from the Father that we carry. It's a big deal, friends. I'm just not, I don't know if we talk about being born again enough and we wonder why people are not seeing kingdom stuff and getting involved in kingdom. Just, I'm saved and now I hang on for my salvation. I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm just asking us to preach born again. I'm born again. I'm not that bad dude. You know, if this t-shirt was red before, I've got to stop saying this t-shirt that's now, whatever, it's a green, I don't know what, gray or green or the light to, purple, it's not purple, let me tell you that. <laughs> He's 67 and blind, that's the problem. But, but this shirt, I don't reference this green shirt that used to be red all the time. 
It's a red, green shirt. It's not used, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, praise God, but you're actually a new creation, not a sinner saved by grace. Stop reverencing who you were and begin to live in who you are because you are now born again. And it's so much easier to walk in the things of God knowing where you are from being born again rather than jumping through the hoops to get to something you can attain. I feel this is a big one, and I, I hope, don't question your salvation. Let's get back to talking about being born again. We're saved from death for life. We're saved from shame for glory. We're saved from slavery for freedom. We're saved from sin for following our Savior. We are saved from the kingdom of darkness, not just into, but for the kingdom of light. To be saved in God's kingdom is embrace God's comprehensive rule over every aspect of our life. And can I say, it's a far cry from merely asking Jesus into your heart. It means a new life, a new identity, and a new kingdom. Two more points. Suffering. I had to share it. Suffering. Oh, here we go. Yeah, kingdom. Suffering is a sign of the kingdom. Oh, Tyron, this is Old Covenant. No, this is New Testament, New Covenant, under the blood in the kingdom of God. I very, yeah, okay. Suffering. J.C. Ryle says, The hour is daily drawing nearer when the reality of our Christianity will be tested. And it will be seen whether we have built on the rock or the sand. The hour is drawing closer for the testing of our true salvation. Acts chapter 14, verse 21 to 22. It's our kind of cameo of how the translocal works. And, and they went into the region and they preached and they said, encouraging and strengthening the brothers to remain true to the faith. This was their message of encouragement we must go through many trials, hardships, they said. That was their message of encouragement. Hardship awaits those who are about the kingdom. Now that's not to fear, because he gives us grace in it. But don't be surprised by suffering and think God's not with you. Friends, if you're church-focused, you disappear when trouble comes. Look at what happened. Forgive me, and I know people are watching, I think, online. We love you, but you need to come back, just so you, you really do. I, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm serious. Forgive me. I mean, if you can go to the mall, you can come to church. If you go to work, I, I, I don't know what to say. But it's not about being together. It's about being biblical. When you preach the church, when hardship hits, people are gone. They're no longer part of the church. They're gone for the next crowd, or they're waiting for you to go find them and tell them how awesome they are and how much they need it, and you're going to bring them back, and you're going to love them. And, and Friends, kingdom people understand hardship always. It's not based on the pastor or the preacher or my connection. It's part of the kingdom. I, I, I wouldn't amen it either, but it's in the Bible, so... I, I, Just read Matthew 24. Again. I, I, I don't fear this, but it seems that Jesus is saying things are going to happen. 
Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for you many will come in my name claiming I'm the Christ and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that none are alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still not come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of the wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. I, I, I fear reading that scripture. Because verse 14 is must go to. But I don't like the verses before that. I don't even know what that means, but I'm just telling you, suffering. And I know that we're going to escape it. I, I, I know some of you think we pre-trip. I'm not getting into all that. Just know suffering is part of the package. Not to fear, to stand strong. Because we're about the kingdom of God. Sending and multiplying is a sign of the kingdom. You cannot say you're kingdom if you're not sending and multiplying. And Marcus did a great job about picking our fight and getting into a fight. But what I've realized is that we are to multiply at every level if you're kingdom. Every level. A church without a kingdom vision eventually becomes selfish and self-serving. Even if you start out right, if you lose the heart for the kingdom... Selfish, self-serving, what's best for us. I want to tell you the church is not a waiting room for heaven. We've got to have that kingdom-shaped view of the church. The last point in it all is a life of significance. A life of significance. It's sad in ministry and growing up in the church and having had the privilege of leading local churches, it's sad how, and I confess I've done this, I've emphasized your significance is if you're on the stage preaching screw. If you playing a role in our gathering on a Sunday, that's your significance. Biblically, that's not true. Jesus never talked about your role you play on a Sunday in a meeting. I'm not downplaying the need for those people, but somehow we've bought into this thing that if you're not on the stage or playing that role, you really haven't achieved much that we can. And so you watch, can I be honest, people jostling to be heard, make a contribution. I watch it because they feel that's the significant thing because we present it. That's where it happens. And I'm just telling you, that's church-minded mentality that needs to shift back to kingdom mentality, meaning every life is significant wherever they are doing whatever God's called them to do. I'm not anti-serving in the church, of course, but it's not your role in the church on a gathering that gives you your significance. It's kingdom life. You'll never find significance if you're not living in the kingdom for the king. Man, being this lockdown, I've been stuck in America, and so I wasn't able to travel, and I've always felt like my role is in this 
people preaching to hundreds and thousands of people and leaders, and that's my going, and that's what, and I was forced for years. The door shut. I could only walk around, user, be in our region and in our nation. And so I had to find another place to preach. So I ended up going to the gym. You can tell. Look at this. And sorry, I'm just, that's a joke, but I did go to the gym. And I began to speak to people and people in the, that before, when I was busy with global stuff, irritated me and I didn't have time to talk to those people because I was preaching to the masses. But God in His wisdom brought me to this place of everywhere is your harvest field and go be it everywhere, not just at an equip or a conference or a team meeting. And so I began to mix with people lost rich, multi-millionaires with every pound of dollar, every house, houses everywhere, helicopters, Lamborghini, you name it, but lost and totally have no significance. And I would begin to ask them and talk, and they would see me, and I'd ask them, and I asked a multi have you ever wanted to ask a billionaire, like, what do you do all day? And I asked one, and he confessed, nothing. I'm bored. I'm unhappy. I have everything, but I have nothing. This guy that I'm talking about, he's connected to a religious church, and he serves, and he does all this stuff, and he walks around with the ashes on his head, and he, he does all this stuff, but he's so no significance because he goes to this thing, and he confesses his sins, but he, he's not part of the kingdom of God. He's got everything, but he has nothing. Because only the kingdom gives us significance in everyday life. Now that's for sinners out there, but that's for you in this room tonight. Significance in who you are, you find it in the kingdom of God. It's not about what you do publicly. It's about what God's called you to do. They say for the first 40 years, it's all about success. You've heard that? And you hit 40, and then you have this midlife crisis. Some hit it earlier, some are still hitting it at 90 or 68 or whatever. And they want to buy Harleys and whatever, and I hit that when I was 12. So. But, but let me just say this. First 40 years, I want to be successful. The next 40 years, what's the significance of everything? I want to say, well, why can't we raise my sons to be successful in significant things in their 20s. Why do they have to wait to 40 to find out what really matters? Well, there's only one place they can find significance. It's not in the church, in the kingdom of God. Serving the plans and purpose. There are business people in this room. You are as necessary. I know you've heard, oh yeah, you are as necessary as me standing. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And the only way I can believe that is because I believe the kingdom means that everyone is significant. You don't serve me. I don't serve you. You don't pay my salary. I don't feed you. We, we have a role to play in serving the purposes of God for the king and his kingdom. And everybody has a role to play. And you are significant. Everything is sacred in the kingdom. It's not sacred and secular. It's all sacred. I think for, for I say this and I'll land. I, I really will land. Crash land. Here we go. I think for, for far too long, please hear this, far too long, we've challenged people with this question. If you die tonight, where would you go? Instead, we should ask us all the question, 
if you wake up tomorrow, what and who will you live for? Kingdom living carries a generational commitment. People lived out your obedience. What would the kingdom of God really look like? There's significance in everything we do when we understand kingdom. He gives value and significance to witnessing to someone on an airplane, to going to the gym, and it's as relevant in the kingdom as me standing here preaching to all of you. I 100% believe it. And maybe COVID had to teach me that again. That if you're living for the king, spreading the gospel of the kingdom, it matters in every area of our lives. Don't find your significance in the pulpit or in the church. Find it in the king and in his kingdom. And function in the local church, through the local church. But we need all hands on deck. Not for the church, for the kingdom. Because it's about the rule and reign of God. And if we truly uh, pivot, not once, or not every day, just pivot truly, and we get to declare kingdom, speak kingdom, talk about kingdom, think about the kingdom, teach around the kingdom, I think, I trust, I pray, I don't do that because that's bad, I hope, hold on, Lord, that the church can get back to truly being battleship. Focusing on the mission, honoring the king. Would you stand with me, please? Let's close your eyes for a minute, please. We're going to land the meeting in a minute. But now, I, I, we planted a church in Denver, Colorado, and I planted our church with a man called Russ Doty, who's now in Australia. And we planted this church with this message. I preached this message. I remember in the first few weeks of planting this church, I preached kingdom, kingdom, and I preached the difference between kingdom and church focus. We put it out there. And after that, I remember Russ Doty coming to me, who's a, who planted with me, and he said, well, clearly you have nailed our colors to the mast. There's no question here of what we're about. And people left to say, we don't want to be a part of this church. Others said, we're all in. Where do we sign up? And we kept preaching and kept preaching. But, but I want to be honest and say, eventually I began to listen to the, the culture. I began to listen to the people. If you just tone this thing down and make it a little more about us, if you just, we could get more people. And honestly, friends, it was like this wearing down, little by little, not a big thing. Just, and I realized, honestly, while I believe what I've just preached tonight as the absolute truth, I stopped preaching that to play the game of a culture that wants to hear about how awesome they are rather than about a price they called to pay. And a man called Andrew Godfrey, many, I don't know if you know him, he was based in Bryanston, he moved to America, he planted a church in, in uh, Denver South, and he came to me when I moved to Denver to plant, he said, Tyron, I want to ask you please to not allow the culture to shrink, to shrink you. So what are you talking about? I said, I need you to stay big and stay kingdom because if you shrink, it's going to affect all of us. I, don't, I had no idea what he was talking about. But I want to tell you, I saw, looking back, the culture begin to shrink me. Stop talking about that. Talk about us. Tell us how awesome we are. I'm telling you, friends, 
very soon it was about the church and not the kingdom. I feel like the Lord has taken us through the season now to shake things up, to recognize what is kingdom and what is not. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to minister with the things that matter for eternity. I don't want to play the church game, and I'm not anti I just want to focus on the unshakable kingdom and get the job done that this king will be glorified. And so don't allow your culture or your people or your leaders or your elders to tone it down. Stay radical. Preach the kingdom. Show the demonstration and watch what God can do from this nation, in this nation, through this nation. It just takes a few of us to stay the course and be kingdom focused. Church plants is the absolute. People say, Tyrant, come talk about church planting. No, no, I'll talk about the kingdom. Because the king and the kingdom, the result is we plant churches. We're not a church planting movement. We're a king and kingdom people, and the overflow is the way to advance the kingdom is to church plant. But we're not about church planting, about the king and the kingdom. The value is in the kingdom of God.